podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, thinking about name pronunciations because our guest today has a name that we've been discussing the pronunciation of for many minutes. Um, we could mispronounce it as Guilliaume Mubache. Um, <laughs> but I will pronounce it correctly when I do the introduction, <laughs> but I don't, I, it's, I always like people spell my name wrong all the time and I used to not care, but I think I'm going to start drawing the line. And if somebody misspells my name, especially in an email, my name is E-A-T-H-A-N. If they drop that first A, I'm just going to be like, that's a sign, man. That's my brown M&Ms. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you got them out of your life completely. Up to par. Yeah, forget it. You can't hang. You can't hang. But yeah, let's talk to our guest here. I'm going to pronounce his name correctly, I, I believe, right now, now that I'm mounting pressure for myself. <laughs> his name is Guillaume Moubetch, and he is from France, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Lemlist, a personalized cold email sequencing software. In three years, Lemlist went from zero to $8 million and wait for it, $9 million in revenue. No, it's at, it's at eight, but it's been climbing since we last checked the figures. Um, it was at six in his most recent bio. So he's growing and doing some cool stuff. That's 8 million ARR right now, 10,000 plus customers worldwide. And they did this all without any funding, unless you got funding since we last saw no, your figures. Still no funding. <laughs> still no funding. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Now you came on the show. Um, you've been doing things in cold email outreach and you came up with an idea that had something to do with taking all inbound messaging and having one place to put it. Yeah, it's a uh, centralized multi-channel inbox to manage customer communications. So I think aggregating Facebook Messenger, email, WhatsApp, text, et cetera. And this is a big business. The total addressable market in 2020 was $20.5 billion dollars for contact center software. It's adjacent, maybe it's significant overlap with what we're talking about with a projected compound annual growth rate of 21% through 2028. So it's going to be big. It's already big. It's going to get much bigger. The businesses that really need this are small and medium-sized businesses. Many large enterprises already have software similar to this, but small and medium-sized businesses are still picking this up. Curious whether that 100% growth rate over a handful of years is just going to be due to inflation. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Could be. Are you trying to steer us to crypto already? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just like trying. You know, it's funny. Like we throw out numbers and I feel like I feel like I'm taking on the responsibility to like not just like let us listen to numbers and move on and try to actually comprehend what the heck it is. I mean, what was that? 20.5 billion or something? 20.5 billion in 2020, growing yeah. 21% per year. Yeah, these are these are astronomical numbers. It's so easy to just be like, oh yeah, whatever. Well, That's I was gonna a throw a little a personal anecdote for me. We we signed up for a food delivery service called Cook Unity, which private chefs in New York, they're not sponsoring the show, but I really like the food. But I hate their delivery. FedEx has been absolutely horrid. Three out of the eight times that we've gotten that we've ordered, we actually haven't received the food because FedEx just lost it. They said it was damaged, whatever. 
anyway, it made me think of this idea because the primary means in which I interact with the Cook Unity folks is via text. And I find that to be incredibly convenient saying, hey, I just didn't, I didn't get my order again. It softens the blow a little bit for it. At least I don't have to call them in, go through a phone tree, share all my information, end up saying representative after two minutes, share all my information again. And then like, so what made you come up with this idea, Guillaume? Uh, to be entirely honest, like um, my segmentation was not only on customer support, but more on the sales side. I receive a lot of messages on LinkedIn and I find the inbox on LinkedIn like really like terrible. Like the, it's the worst user experience ever. You can't find anything. You can't search for things. And then eventually, you know, like I also have like a lot of clients that I met in Facebook groups. So I chat with them over Messenger. And whenever I'm trying to like find conversation with previous clients or try to centralize everything, even like push it into a CRM, I just can't find the information. And to me, you know, like having an inbox where everything would be centralized, where you could have actually like a, a really like fast experience because, you know, we're losing like a lot of time with LinkedIn inbox where you have very few shortcuts or messenger where everything is limited. And my goal was essentially, I was like, okay, I need to find this type of document. I'm wasting so much time, you know, like searching for something. And I'm also losing a lot of leads on LinkedIn because I can't answer every message because I lost some. So I was like, okay, like, let's have something like I, I deal very well with my emails. I'm a pro inbox zero fan. So I'm like, okay, I need to have something that would essentially be similar, maybe like to a Gmail, but that would centralize all my messages. And I would definitely like pay for it. So it started from a, a personal need. I want to talk about some of the competitors here. Guillaume, you mentioned a few that, uh, we brought up a few that are attempting this in some fashion. One is FrontApp but it wasn't clear to me what the issue was with using them. And let me just back up and say FrontApp, they, their stated purpose is to do exactly what we're saying here, where they're managing email, SMS text, live chat, WhatsApp, et cetera, in one application called Front. But you don't like this application for whatever reason. Tell us about that. For me, they don't take the biggest pain. So first thing first is a front app or intercom or all these type of tools. They are like, uh, you know, like multi-channel, but they are more like used for support and not really for sales, which in my mind is a tool that I will build for salespeople, meaning that salespeople or founders or people would just are having like too many conversations with prospects and not already clients and that they want to find like this conversation and potentially synchronize everything with their CRM. So essentially like uh, the way like support team are like managed is like they, they receive inbound like uh, questions or, you know, like problems they need to solve. And they usually deal with this in terms of tickets. So it's like a ticketing uh, type of, of thing, which means that they can share it between like uh, teammates, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in sales or whenever you're like a CEO, what you need is to manage your own conversations. So you don't really like always work as a team whenever you're sharing like all these type of things. And on top of it, it's just the interface is, uh, is kind of like different in the way you do things because you wouldn't connect it with your CRM. You wouldn't push it like into the same, like uh, in the same type of pipe, et cetera, et cetera. And to me, like what those tools are missing mainly is that they are not integrating, for example, with LinkedIn, which for me, it would be like if I would start like, for example, MVP. So like the, the first uh, like minimum viable product, it would just be. For example, like something simple to develop, like uh, it would be like to build like a Chrome, Chrome extension, for example, that will help you 
put all your messages from LinkedIn directly into your uh, Gmail inbox and kind of like pimp it. So it's uh, you would you would have like those two channels linked, which are the two main channels used by sales. And then after that, I would add other channels and and try to build on it. But to me, like the, the biggest pain here is uh, the LinkedIn inbox, and no one has pretty much like addressed it. And LinkedIn team, I guess, like they're they're not just. Uh, working on their UX. Do you happen to know if LinkedIn's API allows you to do that? So that's that's also a challenge. You know, it's like uh, you you wouldn't have to go through a LinkedIn API to do that. You can do it on kind of like the automation, web-based automation. LinkedIn is not like a super fan of this type of things. Um, and that's why, you know, they don't have like really uh, a lot of things on their API. However, uh, in the last, you know, like lawsuit they had with uh, a company, they kind of lost. So that company was automating some tasks on LinkedIn, etc. And LinkedIn kind of tried to sue them, but essentially they lost because, you know, like uh, scraping or even automating tasks on website is technically allowed. So, so to be clear, this idea it wouldn't necessarily allow you to send the messages directly from the app. You, it would just allow you to know where all the messages. Are and you'd have to go back to LinkedIn to send it because the API doesn't exist? No, no, no. Even if you don't have an API, you can do that easily. It's it's not an issue. It's it's just a matter so of- So you're saying you, know, you like, are, yeah, legally and contractually with LinkedIn, you actually are allowed to automate tasks. It's just yeah. they don't make it easy for you by providing yeah, exactly. an API. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, there are services I have heard of, and it does sound like it's like people have to do workarounds to make it work, but basically kind of what you're doing with email in LinkedIn, like having a system where they set up a software where you can have automated follow-up sequences and things like with that in LinkedIn. Yeah. But I haven't seen much of that. I did a Google search. I don't even know whether this service does that, but they came up when I searched for LinkedIn you know, messaging automation called Waylixy, W-A-A-L-A-X-Y. They may be a competitor of yours. I don't know. Uh, your multi-channel prospecting automated. Uh, but there, yeah, well, from what I've heard just through the grapevine, there's people who are coming up with services to automate things on LinkedIn. It's an interesting market because people want it for sure. And, and you're not even talking about automating it. You're just talking about access, right? I yeah, think exactly. I totally and agree with better that. Better interface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to talk about a couple of the other competitors in here because I, I think it's important to look at the landscape and where people are going. You can see what, what they've done so far and predict that potentially some of these folks are going to take on LinkedIn and, and expand further, right? Twilio comes to mind. They recently purchased Segment, which was valued at $1.5 billion at its last raise, and they paid $3.2 billion for it in an all-stock deal they did that at the end of last year. Uh, they also purchased SendGrid a couple years ago, back in 2018, for $2 billion. Twilio, it seems like, is heading in this direction where they are trying to, <clears throat> trying to manage communication across all channels. They started out very API-centric, and you, you need to uh, have a computer science degree in order to, to be able to use the platform. At least it felt like that to me. But now they're moving more to a polished front end that anyone can use. So it seems like, so Twilio is one. Uh, there's another company out there, Intercom. We talked about them. They are much more user-friendly, in my opinion, at least at this point. But they're also expanding their offering to be able to do similar things like this. So they may be heading in this direction of taking on LinkedIn. But 
with your experience, that doesn't that doesn't scare me. I, I really was excited to talk to you about this because Lemlist is a cold email tool that was started in 2018, that you started in 2018. Cold email has been around for much longer than that. You would think, all right, is there room for someone new to come in and grow to 8 million ARR in just a few years? And you've proven that, that you can do this. So how do you think about this new opportunity? And feel free to you know, share some examples from Lemlist. So first of all, I think like um, when there is no competitors, it's not always a good sign. Because, you know, like there are like 7 billion human beings on earth. So there is like the, the chances that someone had the same idea as yours are really, really high. And to me, you know, like the more competitors are on the market, the more the product market fit has been proven. And it's actually like sometimes a great opportunity to just launch in a crowded market with a strong differentiator. And a differentiator can either be, you know, like a, a segment. It can be like a, your niche. It can be just a a few features that you want to expand. And for us, you know, with, uh, with Lemlist, we just started like from the initial issue. People were not getting enough reply rate whenever they were changing, like uh, launching their sales prospecting campaign. So we tried to add um, on top personalization to make people get more replies. So we added like videos, personalized images, etc. And then later on, we extended to actually multi channels. So on Lemlist, you can actually do both like email, LinkedIn, et cetera, and your sales prospecting. But, but the truth is like, to me, you know, like whenever you have like a, a crowded market like this, uh, you just need to find the right positioning. And even though like, you know, for, for me, Intercom, FrontApp, et cetera, are really well positioned on the, on the support side. And I think like both Intercom and, um, and Front are like head-to-head -head competitors, even, front, even though Front is like much smaller. And I think Intercom is trying to go after Zendesk. And later on, they might go after like any of the big players in the CRM space, because obviously like they, that's why they're, they're trying to head off. But for, you know, like inboxing and really like trying to build a new type of inbox, I think there are still room. Like the reason why most people don't do it is because as you were mentioning, you know, like LinkedIn doesn't have like an open API and it's, it's something, you know, like that's, that's taking time, et cetera. So yeah, some people just don't launch but i still see like a few mvps out there that are starting you know to to emerge and uh but nothing very spectacular yet so quick question because you mentioned lemless does do engagement with linkedin and does kind of do the outreach so basically you're saying you but you can't do what you or you know you maybe you could but you don't do what you're suggesting that we do you don't have like an inbox no, uh, no, no, no. You just no, no, have no. a way of reaching out and then people have to go kind of follow up with the final messaging within LinkedIn or something like that, right? Uh, no, no, we, we do the messaging automatically, but it's just like we're not an inbox. It's, we're uh, not an inbox. We're it's like a self-prospecting tool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. You mentioned that when you're launching in a crowded marketplace, you need to have a differentiator. And it sounds to me like that differentiator here is the ability to pull in LinkedIn messages. Would you say that that is the key differentiator? Yeah, definitely. Because I know like so many founders and, you know, like uh, salespeople who are really struggling, you know, to connect first things first is like whenever you have LinkedIn, whether you have normal LinkedIn or sales navigator, how do you push your messages to your CRM? There is like very few like ways to do that. It's like uh, LinkedIn doesn't have uh, native integration with CRMs. Like it's kind of a mess or if they have, they are very limited. So if you build something on top of it, you are flexible in doing whatever you want. 
And if you put all your messages into one shared inbox, at least you know you can label emails, you can put people like handle your inbox the way you, you would usually handle it, but from a much cleaner interface. Because on LinkedIn, you know, you, you don't have even, you know, like the on, on G Suite, for example, you have like very small features but are, that are quite cool. So for example, seeing that whenever you sent a message to someone and that he didn't reply or she didn't reply in the last five days, they're just going to put it at the top of your inbox. It's those type of things are like simple things, but it's important, you know, like to know when to follow up, to know when to do these type of things. And LinkedIn doesn't offer that. Um, you could have also like a bit more tracking. So directly implemented into the inbox, knowing when people, you know, like what a mail tracker is doing, for example. It's this yep. kind of like a old Chrome extension where it's, it's very simple. You have two ticks, one tick when the email has been sent and a second tick when the people, the email has been uh, opened. And it's very clean on the Gmail interface. It's on top of it. And you could build exactly the same thing where you have centralized inbox and where you can see all those nice features on top of the inbox just to make it like uh, easy for people to, to have like multi-channel conversation search for it and don't lose any information. So let's talk about getting our hands dirty, getting started. You know, we talked about kind of the strategic side of things, you know, do something with LinkedIn and that's going to be your strategic advantage. Tactically, if I want to get started tomorrow, what, what do I, what are my first steps? Do I build a, you know, some sort of like a, like a visual representation of what this is and start pre-selling it? Do I start contacting developers that know how to you know, mess with LinkedIn and scraping and things like that? First things first, I think like building a landing page, it's like, it doesn't take a lot of time. It's cheap and it's a good way, you know, like to, to put your ideas into place. So I would start by building a landing page with a clear call to action, which would be something like request access or something like that where whenever people click, they have like a, a form to fill in or just their email address and you can get like uh, more emails of interested people. Then, you know, like uh, obviously having like a small design of what you want is always helpful, especially if you need later on to contact developers because otherwise they're not gonna know how to build it. <laughs> so you need to think about that, that first phase. Then once you have that, the idea is, okay, how do I get people to sign up? Uh, a, a quick trick that works well I mean, there are like, I would say three tactics that, that usually work well for early stage product or like, I would say four tactics. First tactics is reach out to your network. Who is your in your network have the exact same problem as you. And eventually like this is something you should have done before building the landing page to make sure that the problem exists. So, but it exists. So find other entrepreneurs or people with the same issue, ask them to sign up just um, make sure that the value proposition is clear, et cetera, et cetera, and have them to sign up. The idea here is not to start selling on the big picture and the vision of your multi-channel inbox, it's just to sell with the MVP. So the MVP for me would be just put your LinkedIn messages into Gmail or like have a centralized inbox between Gmail and LinkedIn or something like that. Very basic, one feature, something simple that people can rely to and it would be like, stop losing, stop losing your messages in LinkedIn or something like that. A tagline where people could really rely on to. And afterwards, so once I've got like, a, I would say like my circle one of people like interested and they have like created an account, 
then I would start, you know, like um, on groups. So like Facebook group, for example, where my, my target would be hanging out. So it can be groups with CEOs and founders. It can be groups with salespeople. It can be with group with marketers or people in growth. And then I would start like messaging something like, hey guys, um, I've just like uh, built this product that is like uh, essentially like uh, an inbox, a shared inbox between like Gmail and LinkedIn. So you don't essentially lose any track of your LinkedIn messages. If you're interested, please comment below me and I'll reach out. And you can say, add a bit of scarcity if you want in your messages saying like, um, I only have like 25 invite left for beta or something like that. No, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a good time to cut in. We've talked a little bit about some of these steps of, of some of the, I really appreciate that you're sharing the ones that we're talking about. One thing that I'm sort of like, I can see as a sticking point is the funding aspect of it, right? It's like how, and you've done this, you've started from zero and, you know, built an 8 million annual revenue. What are you looking for in terms of asking people to pay? What, what do they get when they pay? And how much are you looking to get for total? Are you, you pre-selling, right? So that I have a bunch of money or are you partnering with a developer that's going to work for free? Uh, yeah, to me, this is basically like the, the toughest part. So what I would advise is really like to find co-founders. You need to find technical co-founders. Like we started Lemlist with uh, $1,000. So we each put, we were three, we each put like $334 and, and we started the company from there. But the truth is like, I was in charge of the business marketing, et cetera. And my co-founders were the tech guys. So we were very complimentary. And when you have that, you know that, okay, it's, it's much easier, you know, to start building it from ground. Because if you have no technical knowledge and you want to launch a SaaS, it's going to be extremely difficult for you because you're going to work with freelancers. You're going to have zero idea of what they're doing, if their choice are the right one or the wrong one, et cetera. So it can be extremely messy. So my first thing is build like a, obviously like find the technical co-founders. That's like first step because for a beta, I think I value much more the relationship rather than asking for people to pay. You can ask for people to pay like after a month or two, if you see that they are sticking to the product, but first you need to make sure that they stick to the product. And if they were there early and I'm not, you know, like there is a lot of people saying like, yeah, you should sell before having a product, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not a huge fan of this approach. I think it can work in some cases, but in most cases, I think it's better to build long-term relationship with people being like super transparent, telling them like, okay, this is like a version alpha of the product. It's not there yet. We're not charging you, but we really want to feedback and build a product with you. So this is when, you know, like finding early adopters is the key moment. And, and by doing so, you know, you're gonna, that's why you need also quite a lot of people because not everyone will stick. Like some people are just going to be saying right. like, yeah, it's too early. I'll come back later or whatever, but you know. I love so, that though. That's so interesting. That, you're building, you're, you're thinking about it as you're building a market really of individuals that may have a common interest and, and, and thinking like, even if this business idea doesn't work, I actually can still take these contacts and build something else for them that they need, you know? And again, we've talked about it similarly, like you can pivot, but it's also important to remember your perspective of I don't care as much that I'm charging them, then they have a relationship with me and they have something in common. I think that's really interesting insight. How long or how much do you think it would cost to build this? You described building the team. Is this like a three-month project? Is this a one year before you start getting profitability? Is this a weekend? I know you're not a developer, but... 
to be honest, like getting an MVP on this project will, uh, if, if you have like good developers in-house, it's like a week to 10 days to have an MVP that is like testable. It's really like easy building a Chrome extension, getting like uh, messages from LinkedIn and, and put, it, put it on top of, uh, of Google. Like that's, that's not something super like difficult. It's not gonna be nice and looking good, et cetera, but it will be functional. To me, it's, it's a type of project that you can start charging like after, after three months. So on the side, on the side to Lemlist, we built like a, another type of really like small business like this, where we can start from uh, weak development, et cetera. And after two months, we were already charging people. And after a year, we were at like $600,000 in revenue. And then we exited the company. But it's uh, to me, it's like Zusar is a type of project where you can get early traction really quickly because there is also something a bit like viral of this product because they don't really exist yet because the problem is quite new. Like if you go like uh, three years ago, LinkedIn was not as used as it is right now, you know. Yet the inbox is exactly the same and they have tons of issues with the search engine, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, to me, it's, um, it's just a matter, you know, of timing and, uh, and uh, yeah, for charging, I think like after two months, it's very doable. The question I wanted to ask was about that relationship with your co-founders, right? You said you were, so you had a developer person who was focused on development and you were focused on, you said more like sales and marketing, right? Yeah. And the third so person, what was their focus? So my two co-founders are a bit older. They are like uh, around like 40 years old and uh, they are two developers, two brothers. So they grew up coding. <laughs> mm. And then you all, you just made it equal share, right? You didn't. Yeah, yeah, like one third, one third, one third. There are like so many books about how many shares should you give to people, etc. For me, it's like, I don't give a fuck. You know, we start from zero. We put like 300 bucks each. The product, the project is worth zero at the beginning. So let's make it equal. Otherwise, you know, you, you, you start thinking like, yeah, why does this person start having a bit more like, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's, it's not healthy. Do you ever feel like in your mind, you're holding on to your share? Like for example, oh my gosh, they're doing a lot of work and I took a few weekends off and I have to like prove that I, I own, <laughs> that I earned this. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just curious if you have any experiences in terms of as you develop these relationships with people and you have your equal shares kind of how internally you're thinking about maintaining the work relationship and balancing you know either putting in uh, enough or maybe even putting in too much so that you don't stress yourself out and burn out things like that as soon as you are transparent with your co-founders and you know you start from the beginning communicating on, on these things and i think like you know it was very clear i was like very inexperienced uh, i had a lot of motivation etc they were highly experienced, a bit older with a different lifestyle. So the, essentially, like even in the way we decided to pay ourselves initially, it was really about, okay, what's our current lifestyle? How much do people need? Because our goal in the, in the early days was to make the company survive the longest time as possible. So it's like, okay, if, if one of the co-founders is having like a, a hard time at home because, you know, like his kids, are starving or whatever, obviously like the money you're going to get first out of the company would be for his salary because you want this to last as long as possible. So it's really about like communicating. And as long as you know, we're aligned in everything, I think it's fine. Like I understand that they have different lifestyle. I also understand that the job of a CEO is different from the job of someone working in tech because it's not the type, the same type of problem. Um, as a CEO, you know, you're going to meet a lot of persons. You're going to do sales. You're going to, so your time, even though it's like the most valuable thing, 
it's still time you need to spend with customers, with, you know, like uh, prospects, etc. And this is not something you can condense. So usually the CEO works the longest hour, I would say, but I don't mind, you know, it's, it was clear from the beginning and we were all agreeing on that, that we have different lifestyle and we're cool with it. That's super useful information. Appreciate that. Chris, I cut you off. What were you going to interject? Yeah, I was going to go into uh, platform risk a little bit here. You mentioned, you called this out as one of the biggest risks of the idea. And if we're talking about launching on LinkedIn, that is the, you know, that would be a, a big issue. Let's say they rolled out improved functionality here and undercut you before you got to profitability or fully got your feet under you. Yeah, it's to me, it's it's definitely, you know, like uh, the biggest risk. And then, you know, you need to think about, you know, like, okay, LinkedIn has been acquired by Microsoft. What are the changes they have made, you know, in the last like years? How quickly can they move? What are the type of things that they are doing? And then you understand that these companies are usually like kind of in slow motion mode. So <laughs> you still have like five years to develop something super sustainable and eventually like even get acquired by them. Like uh, Microsoft has acquired, for example, like uh, Sunrise. Not sure if you remember, it was like a, a calendar app with a really, really nice UX. They acquired at $100 million. Six months after that, they killed it. But still, the guy, you know, who made it just got an exit of $100 million. But in the end, you know, it's, it's just a matter of it's a risk. Every time you're building something on a platform, it's a risk. If you're building something on Google, it's also a risk. But eventually, you know, they are always one thing in your business that could kill the company and then the matter is to like your your goal is to evaluate you know like how big is the risk like am i taking too much risk or not enough and uh, to me it seems like pretty unlikely that uh, linkedin decide to to roll out like a new inbox feature where the interface would be really really nice but that's that's just maybe me you know yeah and this is a limited window for them to, to go after it, right? Because you're saying that this is something that you could start and get to profitability within three months. So it's not like you're devoting years of your life before you actually see a return. Yeah. And another interesting option too, is to see if you can develop relationships with actual people that work at LinkedIn, actually maybe have a little bit of an insider view on what their plans and strategies are and and then in that case, maybe it's very clear to you that that's not what they're working on. You know, you don't want to show your hand too much, you know, because companies like that are known to run off with people's ideas and mimic them. But it could be the case that by even building that relationship, you are, are more easily acquired if that's your goal. And one more question on behalf of Chris, because Chris is often, you know, he's cushy right now. If he's going to start a business, he wants it to only take him like a couple of hours a day. No, a couple of hours a month. <laughs> I, I won't correct you, Ethan. That's fine. Take it down. It's just a funny premise. Yeah. But yeah, do you have, a, we already talked about you being the CEO and agreeing that you're going to work a lot, but do you, do you have any opinion on this kind of how much you should be working, how to minimize the amount of time, how to optimize the amount of time you're putting into a project like this up front? Yeah, I think, you know, like for this type of project, obviously, like uh, if you want to keep it simple with uh, like my, my idea is like even, you know, like the LinkedIn inbox directly into Gmail with some cool features. So really MVP can like can already be like a, a product where you can make really, really good money on it. Obviously, like if you want a product to be like if you want, if you don't want to spend too much time on a product, 
make sure that there are no not too many development when it comes to features that is just one feature getting better and that's what we did with our like the company we exited and by doing this you know i was spending on the project maybe like two hours per month and it was making like uh, at that time yeah it's like uh, around like 40 it went up to like 60 50 sorry 50k so 600 dollar uh, arr and yeah I, I was spending just two hours on it and then it, it's just a matter of in the first months obviously i was chatting a lot with customers but once you know that the need is there it has been validated then you can just hire you know like someone for support then you hire another person for let's say like marketing writing a few articles making tutorials etc and then your role is just like to come in checking like how is everything going okay do you need my help on anything and and that's pretty much it you know oh that's clear, awesome. you said 50k per month on that previous business yeah, it was uh, at 50k MRR, so like $600,000. I wasn't sure. I didn't hear the K the first time. So I was uh, like, yeah, yeah. MRR. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a big exit. Uh, it pay my food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guillaume, let's talk a little bit about Lemlist. Your mission that you had shared here is to help 1 million entrepreneurs build a profitable business by 2025. You know what I've realized? So prior to Lemlist, I had actually like a lead generation agency uh, where I was helping company like grow, doing like their sales prospecting, et cetera. And then I was not happy with the tool. So I built like a Lemlist with my two co-founders. But the truth is like, uh, I realized that what was motivating me was not the money or anything like this. It's more about how can I help people succeed and get the same freedom that I have, you know, in my day-to-day -day life. Because for me, you know, entrepreneurship was just uh, mind-blowing. It's like uh, I come from a family where my parents didn't like, uh, you know, study or anything, didn't have any degree. So they wanted me to become an engineer. I became an engineer. Then, you know, I studied business because I wanted to. But eventually, you know, I was just a pure like school product. So I've got uh, three masters, like, but in the end, you know, like I only really like was fulfilled in my life when I became an entrepreneur and could do the things I wanted to do. So my goal really is uh, to make sure that I can produce enough content and try to inspire as many people to launch their business. Because even though, you know, you're going to have a lot of downs, you know, whenever you have like ups and if you are like consistent in the work you put, you're always going to succeed. And to do so, you know, it's just about focusing on your clients, focusing on bringing value. And you don't even have, you know, like to try to raise funds, et cetera. Just go out there, meet people, network with as many people as you can, listen to run with it to get amazing ideas and go from there. Like really. <laughs> nice. That run with it show. I've heard of that. Yeah. I think I'll check it out. Yeah. yeah check it, Ethan. It's pretty good. There's a guy named Ethan, but his name He's is weird to spell. You're kicked off. You're done. We're done. We're not publishing this episode. <laughs> that's an inside joke from before we started. But actually, I have that's that's really awesome and very inspiring. We appreciate that what you were sharing as well. And I noticed that you you said you appreciated the freedom that you had from entrepreneurship, and it it felt to me like as you you kind of went into the details of that, the freedom I have to kind of help people on a larger scale, but. Um, we, we're trying to inspire people with a little bit more sexy parts of entrepreneurship than just helping others. And it's not always the case that people want to talk about their Lamborghini or something like that, or, you know, the big vacation that they took. But <laughs> is there anything that you feel like the financial 
freedom that you have at this point has allowed for you that you're really excited about uh, something that you could pay for that you weren't able to previously? Yeah, of course, like uh, I can buy like a flat in Paris, I can uh, go work from anywhere I want. So for example, this winter, I hate winter. Uh, so I'm French, but my mom is Italian. So I love the sun. So every winter I go work like somewhere else. This year I was in Mexico. Last year I was in Bali, uh, running the business remote from day one, even though now we have like offices in Paris. But you know, it's, it's just a matter of living the life you want. Uh, with my co-founders, you know, we, we were like, the business was scaling too fast and uh, it was just like too many things to deal with. So we just say, okay, like let's take a step back, relax. So we went for like 10 days in Dubai, just, you know, to, okay, let's, you know, take some distance from the business, look at what we've accomplished, etc. And I'm happy that I'm, that we are, that we're able to do this type of things, you know, like uh, I don't ever think about money again. Like I can do whatever I please. And, and I enjoy, you know, like, uh, because helping other people to grow is nice, but I also really love working with my team, making sure that they learn tons of things that later on, you know, they can all become entrepreneurs, launch their business. And this is nice, you know, like uh, when you can see the impact you can have on other people's life in a positive way, obviously, uh, it's, it's always uh, rewarding. And, and this is what I love really about entrepreneurship. Perfect. Guillaume, you remind me of the word earnest. Paul Graham recently wrote a, a post where one of the things that he looks for most in founders when they are applying to Y Combinator is earnestness. It, and uh, if you combine that, the other term that he uses it is uh, formidable. People who are actually capable of accomplishing these big things, you seem to have that combination. Really enjoyed getting to talk with you here. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Guillaume. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks a lot, Tyson. It was uh, great chatting with you too. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.